Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss OSHA, EPA, safety policy, safety training, employee engagement, and everything in between. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It's a motivational need. It's a means of engaging your team. Safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone in the organization. Hi, I'm your host for the podcast, Dr. Mark French, also known as The Safety Dude. As a certified safety professional and nationally registered EMT, I am excited to share my knowledge and passion from experience in environmental health, safety, security, and human resources. I've worked in the automotive, foods, chemical, nuclear, and e-commerce fields. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode as we talk through the current issues in environmental health and safety and how they can affect the culture of your organization. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, so happy you could join me. Welcome into the new year. Lots of changes I expect, as we'll see this year, will evolve health and safety. I think we'll continue to see a lot of work around COVID-19 and all that, (laughs) for sure. I think the first part of the year especially will be focused on that. And speaking of that, one of the most interesting stories I've come across here uh, from earlier in the month, and this came out of Oregon, so if you remember Oregon, uh, we talked about it at the last episode, Uh, There were some citizens who were protesting at an OSHA official's house, just an inspection agent who had closed down a gym. And so they went and protested his house because I guess they were upset over being closed down. And so they felt he should receive the brunt of that or the the investigative or (laughs) the the OSHA official. So now there's this... uh, There was, uh, from the Salem Reporter, there's Citizens Against Tyranny. Uh, They seek to expose people who make OSHA complaints. That's unbelievable. So if you make an OSHA complaint, if you call the state plan and make a complaint or become a whistleblower, they try to file petitions or try to somehow find out who the whistleblower is, sometimes making very broad assumptions and then they post your name on their web page in hopes that uh, their members will then then harass that person or influence them. That doesn't seem to be exceptionally effective, in my opinion, um, regardless of how we look at that. Because one, there should be some inherent privacy with being a whistleblower. That's something that is very protected and should be very protected because you think about the idea of the whistleblower. The whistleblower is usually an employee and that's what it was built for. Now, as far as a member of the public walking into a restaurant, walking into a grocery store and just upset over a lack of something and calling. Okay. I'm on the fence on that. Now, do they have the, do they have the right? Of course you have the right to do whatever you really want there. But what, as far as the design, the full intent, the original intent of being a whistleblower was an internal person, someone who was directly affected through their employment because OSHA cares about employees. 
So it should be about the employee. So if an employee feels unsafe and they're worried about their their safety as part of their work, they're supposed to call the line, make a complaint, get OSHA involved, get someone involved to get help to them. And, and usually the most effective whistleblowers, uh, the ones that really travel, are, are the ones where there's probably documented evidence that there has been some form of report, some kind of complaint, some kind of request, internal first. Like they've went to their management and they have said, hey, this isn't right. We need to fix it. I don't feel good about this. And then they get shut down and so they call a whistleblower line. And if that's the case and this group is wanting their names or trying to just assume who it might be, that is very difficult for me to see both sides of it. As a safety professional, sure, our whistleblower complaint sometimes a little bit uh, off. If I had the ones about there's not enough bathrooms when there's more than enough bathrooms, I've had the ones where it's we haven't been provided places to eat or drink, and sure enough, we've always had places provided for food, water, drink during breaks and things. Um yeah, so on the other side, yeah, there's some whistleblower claims that sometimes don't work out. But the point is, there's a process in place. There's a process for the person to make the claim, and there's a process for the claim to be investigated. And it's supposed to be in a way that hopefully helps create something there. That if there is truly an issue, that issue will be brought to light and fixed to protect our people. If there's not an issue, then someone that's doing their job or, or have done a good job there, they can support it, show photos. No, here's here's a plant layout. Here's all the bathrooms that are available. Or come on in, look at our break room. Here it is. Here's all the here's the filtered water station. Here's the ice station. Here's the food. Um, you can show them. You can show them. That, no, that's not true. But here, okay, maybe they should have been doing things and they weren't doing it right. So. Okay, so maybe it was a member of the public, and they tried to figure out who the member of the public was. I'm a little off there. That's good that they're caring about people, but um, ultimately that whistleblower claim should have been from someone who was internal, someone who that was directly affecting. So when you look at this, and they're trying to publish names or assume names for these whistleblower claims, and primarily, of course, this is focused on COVID. So... Maybe they weren't being provided masks at a grocery store and an employee calls and complains and now the grocery store has to provide masks. Well, this group is bullying and calling and doing things to try to influence these whistleblowers not to make claims. Hmm. That bothers me a little because there's a process. And as a safety professional, as someone who cares about people, as someone who has, we've struggled as a safety profession through COVID. There is not a lot of guidance. I mean, there, there's science out there. There's some guidance, but we're, we're really just looking at it from, okay, what steps should we be taking to protect our team? How do we do it? We know masks. That's something now that has become official, that there is science out there that says, you know, wearing a mask has an effect, potentially, depending on the usage, depending on factors. I get it. I'm not going to get political there, but okay, let's provide masks. That's not a horrible solution, especially in the case of maybe this potential point here. Our employees are asking for it. If our team is asking for more protections 
and something as simple as maybe masks and we're not providing it. Whoa, we need to really rethink what we're trying to do here because that's just a little bit uh, doesn't seem right. It's not right. But so um, this is and what's interesting enough here, I'll, I'll carry it one step further. There's actually a state representative who is supporting this group. Now, since this publication, they have started removing names from their Web page because I think there was quite a bit of pushback on what they were doing, especially because the data may not have been accurate. There were people that were saying, I don't know why you're doing this to me. I, I wasn't I wasn't had anything to do with this. So I think since then they have made some some changes to where they're not doing that anymore. But the fact that a group thought that that would be effective in the beginning is a little bit scary when you think about the repercussions beyond just COVID. I mean, this is something that should not be happening. There is a process in place that we should follow anytime that there is a whistleblower issue. And that is a right a fundamental right of our team to be able to make that call. All right, more podcasts coming up in just a moment. TSD Amalgamated, your partner in safety consulting. Find them on the web at tsdamalgamated.com. With over 15 years of experience in various industries, setting up ISO, TS, and RC systems, the professional team at TSD Amalgamated is ready to help you take your safety program to that next level. TSD Amalgamated is skilled in technical and behavioral auditing, from training employees on OSHA compliance standards to helping your leadership team see how safety can help drive real organizational change. TSD Amalgamated is there to be your partner. Their process is not a fill-in-the-blank policy or training process. They want to know your team, your needs, and create processes that create total organizational ownership. TSD Amalgamated, where do you want your safety programs to take you? www.tsdamalgamated.com Hello and welcome back to the second part of the podcast. Again, you're, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're going to continue talking about COVID-19 because it just I think that's dominating right now. Everything I can see in the news, everything I'm reading, every conference I'm looking at has some tone of COVID-19. And that's okay because if that's the important thing we're working on right now as a safety organization, let's talk about it. Let's get it out there. Let's figure it out um, because, again, uh, the we is greater than the I. We can all figure that out together. So, you know, let's talk about that. So, of course, President Biden was sworn in and already talking to OSHA about emergency COVID-19 standards. Now, if if you've been a listener to my podcast for any amount of time, you know I'm, I'm somewhat against emergency regulations for COVID-19 uh, because everything has changed so quickly. And if you know OSHA, they're pretty slow when it comes to creating new regs because they really vet the matter uh, very, very much. Sometimes you would almost think they vet it too much before they create the legislation. So to have an emergency uh, standard, to have an emergency enforcement guidance, I think may be a little bit hasty. 
just because we have seen in the year that we've been in this, the science has, has evolved. I mean, we have a, we do have a vaccine now. We didn't think masks were good. Now we know masks are good. Um, so there's been some changes and I'm not sure that we need more standards when it appears that we can enforce this with the standards we have. There's a PPE standard already out there that says you need to evaluate your risk and you need to choose PPE for your risk. We have a bloodborne pathogen standard that talks about controlling uh, bloodborne pathogens. It, it talks about infectious material. We have some standards already out there that can be enforced, that can be reviewed. And right now, the biggest problem is, do we have enough resources in the field to handle it? And that is still something that needs to be addressed. We we need more, especially more education. I mean, if they could invest in, I mean, part, part two parts of the OSHA team that gets in the field, there's your education group, there's your enforcement group. And we need to buffer both for sure we need to beef them up they need more no doubt because you over and over again i see the news of people just criticizing it that they're just not enough getting out there well not enough people (laughs) more complaints than people to handle those complaints and again education we we definitely i think a lot of businesses i know i'm interested in any amount of education for the safety of our team that you can find on COVID the outreach to what can we do more to protect our team and what's the recommendations out there. So rather than creating a law that would punish us, let's look at how do we educate? How do we get resources in the hands of the safety team to get them where they need to go? Let's, let's look at the proactive. Let's get ahead of it. Let's invest in resources that will do that. I think I'm, first of all, really for that before I see the need for more regulations. Now, I'd love to hear more about that. If you're on the opposite side of it, tell me why. I uh, would love to know. Very interested in this topic because I think, again, as safety professionals, we're, we're working together to try to find our path. So I was going through and... It, it, Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but inside the Occupational Health and Safety Administration webpage, there are enforcement memos or there's guidebooks on how OSHA should conduct investigations when they're on site at a business. So I pulled up the uh, revised enforcement guidance for uh, recording cases of COVID-19 and just looking at like, okay, let's talk about what are we even looking at when they come in to see like recordability or what are they looking for in general, just to see if it's a work-related COVID case. And it, the first thing is reasonableness, that especially small employers are not expected to undertake extensive medical inquiries. And I think there's two reasons for that. One, that can be costly. Getting medicine involved, getting things like that, that, that has a lot of effect financially. But secondly... I think we, we've we taken some liberties uh, in medical privacy during this time because we want to protect our people. And we're at unprecedented times, in modern unprecedented times, talking about this. So, okay, let's be careful about privacy because we don't know where this is going to go long term. Um, evidence available to the employer. And I think that's important too. Like, is there evidence Are you doing your due diligence to collect evidence? What do you know about your workforce? So there's been a lot of different, like especially the meatpacking industry has taken a very, very hard hit from COVID and very large criticisms 
because they weren't really trying to control it. Like they may know someone had had COVID, but didn't really worry about like where it could have spread or where it went. So the evidence, they weren't even following the evidence that was readily right there available. Now, not every meatpacking plant did that, but there was a number and there, there are a lot of articles written about them where they knew that there was cases out there and they weren't following up at all. And so that's evidence that's available <laughs> if it's right there for you to use. So then they have to look at the evidence that the, the COVID-19 illness was contracted at work. And what does that mean? That severe cases were developing with no alternate explanation. Uh, lengthy, close exposure to someone else who had a case. Um, close proximity to the public. Uh, so that's uh, certainly a way that you could get contracted. Um, vicinity of job duties, uh, community spread, and then also what's happening outside the workplace. Like, did they have a friend or anyone they were visiting that also uh, had any contact or had positive case? So we have to be careful with what we already have. And can we enforce, can we educate what we have? Again, I am a big proponent of simple is better. The simpler it is, the easier it is for us to understand, the more education that you give us, the better we are equipped to enforce it. The better we are to create the behaviors and help everyone understand why we're doing it and help understand that this is what we're doing because there is guidance, there has been education, and there's ways for us to teach it. So this is something that's going to continue to be part of what we do in the safety world for I think some more longer. I mean, you hear Dr. Fauci talk about that. It's probably going to be later this year, fall even, before we really, really see breakthroughs. Maybe. Maybe you can be more optimistic. But I think we still have to batten down and be ready for this because it's going to continue to evolve. So I do want to ask, as you're out and about and things are continuing to evolve, one of the best things you can do is keep those hands washed. So uh, always focus on good hand washing. Keep some uh, antibiotics. Your uh, your spray or gel there in your hands, and you can sanitize when you need to. So stay safe out there, because things. This is a new year. I know people are getting antsy to get out. Uh, businesses are starting to reopen. We want to be careful. We want to protect those around us. So uh, again, thanks for joining me this week as we really focused on COVID nineteen. And until next time, we chant. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the internet at www.thesafetydude.org or on Twitter at thesafetydude. As always, all opinions are my own and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. I always encourage you to learn more about safety regulations and examine the facts with your unique perspective. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast.